Hello and welcome listeners to the second episode of the second series of the Ladies Hacking Society podcast. I'm Helen and I'm the Chapter Support Manager for LHS. If you haven't listened to our first episode, then it's probably good that I tell you that we're shaking up the format a bit. For each podcast, we're interchanging our hosts, so you can expect to hear from every single chapter lead. I think this is going to bring loads of different variety and loads of topics, uh, and it'll stop us from getting boring. I'm here with Kimberly today, who listeners haven't heard from before. Kimberly, do you want to tell our listeners a bit about yourself? Thanks, Helen. Hi. Um, yes, I'm Kimberly Hendry, and I'm the co-founder of the Northeast Ladies Hacking Society. Um, I'm currently working as a cybersecurity engineer, and I've recently graduated, and I'm a mum of two kids. So come the evening, I just like to chill and watch Netflix. So I'm sure many can relate to that. Too right, too right. Um, so how long has the Northeast chapter been going? Well, um, we started up in May, um, along with um, Catherine Cardos, my other co-founder. Um, so all of our events have been online so far, and we've had four really great events. Our last one was on Ada Lovelace Day, and everyone loved it, especially our three minutes of zen um, with our chapter support mail. I love the three minutes of zen. It's absolutely fab. Uh, so listeners, make sure you, you uh, catch the next one. Yes, definitely. Um, all the details will be in the show notes. And um, actually, me and Catherine are going to be recording the third episode quite shortly. And so we're going to be chatting about how folks can get into InfoSec. So we're really looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to listening to that one as well, because you're going to have some great guests. It's going to be really cool. Um, before we get into the next section of it and we and, and you hear from our guests today, I just want to say it's probably fair that when we recorded this episode first time around, the internet was having a bit of a bad day because it sounds like we're talking over each other loads um, and, at, and at a few points there is a bit of a time lag. So apologies in advance for that. Yes. So we hope you enjoy the episode and tell all your friends. Bye. Bye. the last couple of years that we've been doing the Hacking Society uh, we've had uh, a couple of core long-term sponsors and um, we've got one on today. Recorded Future, uh, absolutely brilliant, um, they've supported us uh, for a long time in London, they've hosted our meetups, they've shared great knowledge and resources with us and they're some of our favourite people in the world so I'm absolutely delighted that we've got Jason Steer and Molly Davis from Recorded Future on today so welcome and thank you for being here. Hey guys, thank you for having us. And uh, yeah, thank you. I'm looking forward to this. Um, it's probably going to be a little bit more sober and uh, yeah, <laughs> not, not, not quite as uh, messy as the one we did uh, right before the lockdown began, oh, sadly. I know, I know. I, that was such a funny story. Do you want to tell us about it, Jason? <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure I can actually remember all the details. But, um, <laughs> All I do remember is that we'd finished three bottles of white wine by the um, the time Eliza's <laughs> laptop ran out of battery and realised that the recording wasn't actually recorded. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, one, that one sounded fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, and uh, it got worse. We carried on. I think we went out for dinner afterwards and finished another couple. And uh, I remember having a very sore head the next morning. <laughs> That's a lot to live up to, then, isn't it? <laughs> 
It is a lot to live up yeah. to. I mean, um, I, I, it's half past nine in the morning, so I've just got a cup of tea. But, um, but it did make me giggle. Oh, it did you? make me giggle when I heard when I heard that story. So this is this is your right. This is recorded future, literally take two. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about, or tell the listeners um, about your roles, what you do at Recorded Future, and and, and a bit about what Recorded Future does. Morning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So obviously, thanks for having us. Really excited to be here today. So my role at Recorded Future is a threat intelligence consultant. And prior to working at Recorded Future, I was at BAE Systems. And I essentially started there as a security consultant. And then actually thought, no, the really cool place to be is TI. So moved across into TI. Now I'm at Recorded Future. And essentially, my role is to really work with clients across the different organizations that, that we have, and basically to help them protect themselves against the threats that, that they have in, in the cyberspace and really disrupt the adversaries. So helping them to understand who is likely to attack me, why is that, and what can I do to, to protect myself? Um, and also obviously working with clients who have actually experienced attacks in the past or, or more recently. So whether that's a breach or a ransomware attack, and again, helping them to understand, you know, how did this happen to me and how do we make sure that moving forward, this doesn't happen again. Oh, that's great. That's that's a nice um, explanation of what threat intel is, actually. Thank you. No worries. And um, yourself, Jason? So um, I guess my official title is I'm director of our Europe and Middle East uh, and Africa pre-sales team, which is you know, managing a team across UK, Scandix, uh, Middle East, Germany, France, um, yeah, to help all of our clients that we're talking to, help them you know, understand the capabilities of you know, what good threat intelligence should enable them to do and get visibility of and the risks that they can mitigate. So. Um, yeah, Molly and I um, sit on counterparts of you know the organisation. Is her job is to make our customers incredibly happy and you know keep spending money with us and uh, asking and doing more with us. And my job on the other side with our team is to help those customers select recorded future out of you know, a myriad of uh, threat intelligence providers that are out in the market today. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so I guess it'd be good to start with. Um, so what what are you seeing happening in the world right now? Any particular common threats recorded futures seeing? Lots and lots. <laughs> Jason, would you, would you like to go first on that one? Well, I'd, I'd love yeah. to hear what your perspective is, Molly, because, I mean, you talk to our clients every single day, so um, they probably mm -hmm. tell you more than I do, to, I hear. No, definitely, yeah. Honest. I mean, as I say, there's lots going on at the moment in the threat landscape, but I think, for me, one of the most notable things that I've seen is definitely a preference in for certain tactics, and in this case, ransomware attacks. And I'm sure you guys have seen this all over the news, and for anybody listening, who may not know, I'm pretty sure if you go onto Google and you just type in, you know, recent ransomware attack, you will see something in the last few weeks. Um, but yeah, this is definitely a shift that I've personally been seeing. I've had clients as well who have had ransomware attacks. Um, but a few interesting things around this are really, you know, we're having or we're seeing some kind of big game ransomware operators who really are targeting those bigger, more larger organizations. And the reason being is that, you know, these are the types of organizations that will pay out just because they are bigger. They need to get, you know, their critical business functions, systems back up on track. 
And, you know, it's more publicity as well. And, you know, they're much more likely to get a higher payout. Um, but another one of the interesting things that I'm seeing around this as well is the move to extortion tactics. And this for me is just really interesting because this is essentially where, you know, the ransomware operators are not only holding, you know, systems, files to ransom, but they're also basically um, leaking a little bit of that data online just to say to these big organizations, hey, like, you know, not only am I going to hold you to ransom, but I also might leak your documents, which could be a whole other headache for you guys. Um, and, you know, that's really there to increase the pressure, to make sure that these organizations know they're serious and try to get them to pay out. And, you know, it, it does sometimes work. So that's definitely something I'm seeing. Um, and, you know, whilst we're on that as well, a bit of collaboration between these groups too. So joining, joining kind of what we call ransomware cartels just to, you know, make wow. themselves stronger, more skilled. And as well, it's good, healthy competition, right? So the other ransomware operators, you know, see that trend and try to jump on it as well. That's that's gotcha. super interesting. That is actually the fact that um, it's like economics is a factor. If you add a bit of competition into the marketplace, then it makes makes people want to try harder. So let me try and uh, who can extort the most or extort the best? Yeah, yeah. One thing I was just going to throw into the into the mix here is just how exposed customers' infrastructure is for, for things like remote access. And what, what concerns me most from an economic model is how much criminals sell remote access that they've identified in organisations for. We, we've just been producing um, some slides for a couple of events uh, on ransomware. And you know, we're finding organisations like universities or banks that have got remote access um, created by criminals from, from malware and the access is being sold for $300, $400, $500 US. Wow. And you think about the economic model of, you know, selling it for such a small amount. But I mean, if you look at Garmin, I think they, they were rumored to have paid $10 million to get their data back. So with such low entry costs and such high payouts, I mean, it's only going to go one way, sadly, in my mind, that it's incredibly going to happen so much more. It's, it's, it's a lucrative tactic, isn't it? And with relatively little risk, if if they are so anonymous as well, if they can hide their tracks mm -hmm. so easily. So, you know, what, what are the types of ways in which we can actually prevent it? Is it literally, you know, make sure that people don't get access to start with? What do you advise your clients? So, I mean, for, from my side, when it comes to ransomware, it's all about early detection. So, you know, the, the longer an attacker is sat on your network and they're able to, you know, laterally move, they're able to disable your antivirus, um, you know, escalate their privileges. And, you know, it's then eventually when they drop that payload, if you can really identify them in, in the early stages. And yeah, as you say, that does include making sure, you know, your credentials aren't out there. They can't be reused, making sure, you know, your, your employees can recognize the phishing emails, um, patching your vulnerabilities. Then that's the only real way, in my view, to make sure that you're protecting yourselves and you're able to be proactive rather than reactive in these circumstances. Have a good backup. What about you, Jason? What do... Wait, yeah, for me, this is absolute classic um, you know, use case for, for good threat intelligence. That is, you know, how many sources, how many different places can you identify those indicators that Molly talked about through the different stages? Because by the time we get to the, the sort of late stage, stage three, where um, they're potentially exfiltrating data and encrypting it, mm -hmm. it's too late. So we really have to be very good at helping organizations identify 
the initial access, which might be you know remote desktop uh, brute forcing, for example. You know what vulnerabilities in RDP are exposed that we need to better identify and, and better prioritize in patching. Um, and what are the types of toolkits that criminal gangs are using to, to try and get that initial access and sell it on? So, yeah, I mean, one of the things that we're working on, we just released a report last week on was you know, how do different ransomware strains behave? And this becomes a playbook for organizations to think about you know, of all of the ransomware families out there, what vulnerabilities do they leverage? Like Sodden Akibi was focused on Citrix, Pulse Secure VPNs, for example, is comes back to really, for me, very simple things in IT, which are really hard to do is understanding my infrastructure, understanding the software that runs across all of my infrastructure and you know, mapping that to, you know, real risks related to ransomware that you know, people do need to spend more time paying attention to. And, this becomes the challenge of, of good threat intelligence is how quickly can I get this information to the right people yeah. to make those decisions. And that in a large complex organization is incredibly difficult as, <laughs> as we all know. So with that report that you just mentioned, is that freely available if people wanted to download it? Could, should we put a link in the show notes for everybody? Yeah, absolutely. What I'll do is I'll send it to you afterwards, Helen. And um, yeah, we can definitely send it round because it's a 70-page uh, document wow. and there's a, an awful lot of really good discussion <laughs> around you know, how do we break down those stages? Yeah. You know, what specific things in the MITRE attack uh, taxonomy can we use to align those two that you know, help, organ help organizations, help individuals learn more? And uh, yeah, absolutely, be happy to share Some that. Good late night reading there for you guys. <laughs> Keep me busy. Do you know what strikes me though is I'm listening to you both talk about threat intel and your roles, but is that it's the variety that you come across every day and all the different tactics and all the different threat vectors and uh, it just sounds really interesting to be honest as 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 a role as a career and um, so it must be pretty cool to have to have a job in threat intelligence definitely i think as i said earlier for me ti was just kind of so me, I, I mean not that anything else isn't proper security but it's just you know it's right at the forefront it's trying to understand, you know, who, who could target me, who's potentially coming for me and just allowing you to protect your business before you get to the point, as we said earlier, where, you, you know, you've got a ransomware attack and you've got to pay, you know, millions of pounds. And I think, yeah, it's, it's allowing you to join the dots. And it is really interesting. Some of the some of the trends we're seeing as well, you know, you, you forget that the people behind these attacks, they are just people as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you tend to think that they're these mysterious, you know, I don't know what, but they are just people, right? And, you know, you can kind of read them in that way as well. So it is certainly something that's very interesting to, to me. Um, I was wondering, is there, have you ever come across anything in particular that um, almost scares you? Because um, of all of my experience in cybersecurity, the only thing that has actually freaked me out a bit was when I was doing threat intel into the energy industry. And I was like, wow, this is, um, this is some big stuff. So I wonder if, if you've come across anything that you've been like, oh, That's a you tough question. And oh, no. That's a good question, then, isn't it? Brilliant. I think you know, what, one thing that I think most people who've worked in security or in, in IT, which um, is we realise just how fragile networks and infrastructure is really and how, how continuous it is to keep on top of it and make sure that we're secure, it's patched, it's running. 
you know, the, the, the three sort of tenets of computing, which is a confidentially, confidentiality, integrity, and availability is it's not easy to do this every single hour of every single day all year without things getting, getting done accidentally or not getting done by accident or not for so many reasons. I mean, to just to go back to one of Molly's points is all of these cyber attacks are distinctly human. You know, these are done by human beings with objectives. Do they have the capability? Maybe. Do they have the tools? Maybe. And you know, ultimately, th this is about human beings uh, just using technology to achieve what they need to do. That's so interesting. And I guess actually, you say how it's people and the adversaries that have the the skills and the tools. I guess looking at it from the other side, um, there's lots of talk about skills gap in the in the industry, isn't there? So. Just, is there anything that you particularly notice in that? Well, I guess you know, from my perspective on, on the skills gap is most skills can be learned. And you know, if we put aside the IT skills or, or whatever it is, I think um, you know, look, you know, spending time hiring and interviewing lots of people every single week in my role, it, it's about the individual. And th this is something that... Um, you know, I, I firmly believe in that too many employers insist on employees joining their business with 80, 90% of the capability on day one. And as a result, you end up with an extremely narrow list of skills and people that can fit that on day one and uh, not enough flexibility from employers to, to accept that maybe I can get a candidate with 50% of those skill sets. And for the right individuals who've got motivation who are good team players who want to develop and learn well, i can teach them the other 50 percent very quickly with the right person with the right characteristics and i don't think there is a skills gap i think um to quote uh, raj samani there's a lack of lack of bravery on many employers to actually relax on their requirements and you know we can go down some quite interesting discussions on art the value of certifications for example how much is about learning on the job versus certifications? And, uh, you know, that becomes you know, some quite strong discussion areas for me. But we just, there is no skills gap in my mind. What we need to do is just be more open and more relaxed on what skills do we need on day one and what skills do we need on day 90? And how do we have good mentors and good training programs to, to fill those gaps quickly so that employees can contribute quickly, but we don't have to have so many things on that list on day one yeah i'd agree with that i have to say um you know i've gone through a period of of learning uh recently and you know coming out with lots of new skills that i've learned uh and certifications at school but now what i'm lacking is maybe the practical experience mm. so i think it's it's that isn't it it's like you've, you've got the capability to learn but then the real thing the real thing that makes you good at contributing to to the workplace is actually the experience that you get in doing those roles yeah. um and so you have to have the you have to go through the opportunity of gaining that experience so that you can add the value to the company so i'm with you that yeah there isn't necessarily a skills gap it's you know it's the opportunity to develop those skills and gain the experience I, I mean i could probably talk from my own experience here as well because my background isn't technical i graduated with a degree in psychology um but you know i came into my, my first organization um having learned as much as i could as well as i could so doing some free courses um you know really kind of 
indulging myself in the news articles and everything TI related and I was just you know lucky that there was a really great program in place for me to become technical and do those courses so I, I would definitely agree that you know organizations you know need to be more open to those without a technical background and then given the support there for you know those people to be able to to develop um you know having a diverse workforce for me is absolutely key having you know 50 people who are exactly the same isn't really going to get you different views different answers and, and it's not very effective as a team so I think it is definitely really important as well. No that's true because like you say diversity is so important because the, the attackers are diverse aren't they they're not all just the same really? people sat in a room so if you um, you need better diversity of thought and less like group think don't we as well. Mm-hmm. Group think that's mm. so interesting isn't it I do. I, I, I get quite. I'm quite into analysing um, human behaviour, if you like, why people do things and, and what makes them push along. And groupthink. Uh, you know, you can just see it every time you look on social media and all the echo chambers. Mm. I'm like, I'm literally, I'm rubbing my temples now. <laughs> I'm even thinking about it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, winds me up. Winds me up. Um, but going back to the uh, to the skills gap uh, a little bit more and how you know I think I think there is um, an element of the, there's there's a lot of roles that need to be filled because it because I'm guess from being sat at the the pinnacle of threat intelligence and seeing how much is there you 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 know how much human resource companies are probably going to need to try and help mitigate these risks so I think that, that, that there are some gaps in maybe trying to get people into the into these jobs so what do you think employers should or could do what what ideas or, or programs have you found useful to help fill some of these gaps and and, and get people into the right places and, and actually working for companies and I'm interested in both of your thoughts there Molly, yeah like sure um so I mean I can probably or certainly look at it from a gender diversity perspective and trying to obviously fill the gap that, that we have there um obviously well I say obviously um but there's about a 20 percent um kind of amount of females in the industry so there's definitely a skills gap there with you know females not really being present in the industry so I've worked on a few initiatives um one at Recorded Future that I'm kind of standing up now but also at my previous company and it's all about really trying to target women or young females from a very young age so that they are aware that actually you can take a career in cybersecurity, in for intel, and you, know, you don't have to fit into these kind of stereotypes that sometimes we believe we do. Um, so, you know, doing that STEM outreach, um, you know, doing some initiatives, we had some young females come in to the workplace for a week and we, we done lots of different talks. And we, you know, got them to write a cybersecurity policy for their school. And the feedback from, from these young females was like, wow, I didn't realise that this was even a job. And I didn't know that I could do it. And actually, I think quite a few of them said that they would definitely consider a career. So from that side of things, I think it's really important to, you know, really target that young age. But, you know, also make sure that, you know, when you're targeting your next immediate employees who, who have already got some experience, making sure that, your you know your job applications are gender neutral so you know it's not got too many masculine words in it and just making sure you can attract females into the industry as best as you can really brilliant have you got any good examples of how you could phrase Mm. 
you know job adverts definitely so in a job advert if you're saying things like a strong candidate must have um you know these very kind of overpowering words they do tend to be more more masculine associated whereas if you say something much more neutral like a good candidate for example that is something that's seen as more neutral and there are some really good tools and i believe some of them are free or most of them are where you can actually input your job application or your words your text from that application into into this um into a website and it will actually spit out and tell you which words are masculine which are too feminine and basically help you get that more kind of neutral wording for your for your job adverts oh brilliant oh if you know what that website is then whiz it over because we'll definitely put that in the show notes and tell people tell people how to use that because that's really useful um one of the things that i saw posted this week actually on twitter was um it, what was oh, that, AI big, is it bigger, bigger it, AI? But we'll put that in the in the show notes. Big, definitely, we will. Yeah, definitely. Was it big up AI? That's it. So somebody's created. Um, um, uh, so I'll, an, it's like what's, what's an algorithm. Artificial, yeah. Artificial yeah. intelligence. <laughs> That's it. Um, because women, it says at the front of it, women are four times more likely to mm. shrink their successes. So th- hearing what you've just spoke about there, Molly, was really about engaging young women to, to like let them know that these careers exist and that, you know, being technical isn't just isn't just like a male world and, you know, come and join us. It's good fun here. Um, but also, I think some of it is some of the way in which women we talk to ourselves and we have our little our little things that go through our heads sometimes. And, and but we're four times more likely to shrink our successes. So it's an algorithm whereby if you put in a keyword to say, what is your biggest yeah. strength? then it'll give you a sentence. So I put in curiosity, because I, I am curious about everything. And it came up with, I am infinitely curious. I also taught it a few extra words, but that's actually quite cool. Definitely. So I think that's a good... All about how you're framing you know, your thoughts, right? So that you turn them from that you know, negative, self-doubting thought to, to something much more positive and motivating. It's really good. I'd like to see that, actually. what about you jason what 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 kind of programs have you seen work well to try and get more people into the workforce and finding the right people for your for the roles that you've had available so it's, it's a tough one to be honest um i mean one of the things we're trying to work on at the moment is an apprenticeship scheme or a graduate scheme so that we can get graduates coming out of university for example um that we can bring into the industry for example that it's another route to find professionals without having to pay ridiculously high wages and uh, take people without skills and develop those skills with an experience um yeah as part of a graduate program so um well, one thing one thing i, I liked talk about is as an employee vetting employers is not what are the things that you should be thinking about and asking employers about because those are the types of things that will give you a good sense of which organizations really care about employees and want personal development for their employees and which ones don't and um, some of the things that we talk about a lot here at recorded future are things like um, encouraging you know people to ask you know do you have an onboarding plan for employees 
a number of organizations I've worked at, and probably you all have as well, is where there is no onboarding plan, you're thrown in the deep end on day one, is yeah. you know, how, how do you, how are you going to develop me? You know, what, what are my expectations on, on day one, on day 30, on day 60, on day 90? Is, you know, good employers are building those out. Good managers actually have some guidance to, to help you along that way. And um, I find that really valuable when I'm interviewing candidates to talk about what we actually have onboarding plans for our teams that you know help you adjust and help you frame where you are and you know what you need to do to get get to day 90 and and that's just one thing that you know I really am passionate about is you know make sure we have got clear onboarding plans and the other part which goes hand in hand with that is is mentors is as long as you know everyone needs a manager a good manager can help you navigate what you need to do strategically but what you need as part of that as well is a mentor, someone who can day to day help you navigate the actual stuff you need to do as, to get the job done, to get the task done. And having access to mentors who've got the time, got the experience, have got the skills is almost more important than the manager's role um, for, for onboarding employees. And those would be things that I'd be actively asking in in interviews with employers. Isn't that, do you have a mentoring scheme? How does that work? What types of mentoring programs, what type of people are mentors in your organization right now? Because ultimately, if those people have been there five, six, seven years, that tells you a lot about the organization. That tells you how much they care about retention and development of employees. And um, it re really gives you some really good insights as to the culture of the organization. And um, for me, it, Choosing a company as an employee is all about you know, company culture. What, what are your programs around training and, and development? So what, what paths are there to promote or to cross into other functions of the business um, once I'm established? And those are all great questions that good employees should be asking. And those are the sorts of things that, that make, for me, candidates stand out who know where they want to start but are also thinking about you know, five, six years down the line not what else can they achieve and uh, not what directions are available to them. Because the one thing I love about information security in IT is that probably half the routes that, that are out there right now don't even exist yet. And they're yet to be invented as new startups and new technology in the next couple of years. And there's so many options that, and that's, that's the bit that really gets me excited that when I did started doing this over 20 years ago, you know, security was so, so much more, singular and it's just so diverse now and it's just continuing to diversify so it, it's just it's a lack it's the imagination is that our only restriction personally for me now and having candidates that want to have that that to expand their knowledge is for me you know, the most exciting thing to find is you know, let's explore these journeys together that's really that's yeah that's really really interesting actually um do, do you have any particular mentors yourself even sort of informal ones or anyone that's particularly helped you there's been a lot of people actually who me over the years i mean i'll go right back to my first job when i left university um, in hong kong and th this guy's name was sum lee and he was cantonese and bless him i knew nothing about novel netware i knew nothing about tcpip um, I went there on work experience program in 1996, wet behind the ears like you wouldn't believe. And um, 
I just finished my degree in information systems and yeah, he let me break the network, break computers, break the router, break the switches and all of that you know, helped me you know, yeah, figure out stuff and, and for me to solidify my understandings. And without that man, Sam Lee, you know, helping me break stuff and understand how it all connects together, I'd never have got my next job as a security consultant deploying firewalls um, for, for organizations because I'd broken it so many times I knew where it would break. And uh, it was really easy for me to figure out how to fix it pretty quickly after that. So um, he, he was really influential in my career and he's probably the one that I learned the most lessons from because I just literally broke stuff every single day. <laughs> And, Sounds fun. <laughs> but, uh, but different times though then and uh, organizations have that tolerance now for the network to be up and down multiple times a day and computers to be down so i feel like i, I was very lucky that you know i was in an environment where I really noticed or cared that much um but i mean it's for me that's how i learn is by breaking stuff and fixing right. it and for different people they learn in different ways and um Finding mentors who look, give you that opportunity to learn is not so important. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you, how many mentors do you think you've had in your careers? Because I don't know about you. I've Sometimes I find that I've gone and got myself a different mentor if there's something different that I've wanted to learn. So sometimes I've had a couple of mentors mm. going on all at the same time. Um have you ever experienced that where you've where you've asked more than one person? I definitely have personally, especially starting out in cybersecurity. And as you say, that there's so much going on, and when you have a limited knowledge, um, because you're starting out, definitely reaching out to people with different things. I think I've had a couple on the go at one point in my previous job, but it worked for me, and both gave me completely different advice, different mentorship skills. So yeah, I, I definitely have done that before. no i think it's great people talking about mentors because um i feel like maybe we all do it quite naturally sort of like turn mm -hmm. to people for advice but maybe actually naming it like this as it's that's that's a mentor um sort of explains it best to people um because i definitely have lots of different people i think of if i need advice for this or that or i'm unsure about something different people to turn to that's like maybe informal mentors. And I think not enough people want to ask. And uh, I turn it around the other way and just think, you know, it's a huge compliment when people ask you for help and ask for your opinion. And uh, you know, I'm always happy to give my opinion and time to anyone who wants to come to me because, you know, I, I personally, you know, have the imposter syndrome hugely that, you know, what opinions have I got to share that would be of value? So when people do come and ask me, I'm always happy to give them if I've got the time. And um, I, I just think you know, that that's part of paying it forward is people have helped me get here. And you know, if I can repay them a little bit with some of my experiences, then why wouldn't we? And I, I think it's you know, a huge compliment when people come and ask, but what we have to do is you know, get people's mindset that it's actually, it's absolutely fine to ask. And if people say no, it's absolutely fine, but people have to ask. and. Uh, there's so many people out there who probably would happily give their time if you know, particularly now when working at home so much more 
we've got so much more time to give and help people if, if they want to. That's really interesting to obviously flip it around the other way because I've never thought of it like that. Um, you always think when you reach out to someone, they're just like, nope, don't have time. But yeah, <laughs> it's good to flip it around and hear it that, that other way for sure. I found a really good quote on uh, LinkedIn just yesterday from one of the guys I used to work with at Vericode. And it was um, such a simple quote, and it, it really articulated almost this point is, manager, good, good managers promote themselves, good leaders promote everyone else around them. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's true, I could hold with that. <laughs> yeah, I think that those are wise words. That's the only wise words I've got for today, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. But but I am good, I'm just going to pull it back a little bit to a, a, a word that, that that you said during that um, uh, section there, which was imposter syndrome. Um, and just like if it was visual, I think all of us would probably well, a few of us. I know I would have my hand up right now to say I've suffered mm. from imposter syndrome in the past. What experiences have you had of imposter syndrome, and how have you overcome it? And I'm interested to hear from a male and a female perspective here, because actually, as a woman, I know that women uh, have imposter syndrome all the time. Um, but to hear you say it, Jason, that's really interesting. Well, I guess some of it just comes from knowing that the, there's so many smart people out there. And if you get put on a platform as an expert, for me, there's always someone who could put the hand up and say, but you didn't, you didn't mention this or you didn't consider that. And that for me is that paranoia drives me to not continue to learn and educate myself. But equally is there's a still, still part, small part of me that's 16 years old that goes, oh, you're absolutely right. I am a bit stupid. I completely forgot about that. And that's absolutely normal and human being you know, to, to, to feel like that. And I think you know, to turn it around, it's, it's a healthy sign that, we, we can't know everything and we should, you know, we should never expect ourselves to know everything. And it's, it's just a reflection of who we are and our experiences and there are always going to be gaps. And you know, for me, that is, you know, just keeps me paranoid and paranoid is good, honestly, um, to just you know, keep on top of it. So yeah, every single day is, you know, that, that, that is something that I deal with and think about and uh, it's not something that I think will ever go away. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I am probably in the same boat in the sense that I've absolutely experienced imposter syndrome and still do. I think we all, we all do. Um, but coming from a non-technical background, obviously being a lot earlier in my career than say Jason is, um, you know, I, I get into meetings and it is predominantly all men around the table. And, you know, I do have the moment of, oh, should I be here? Um, you know, maybe I'm not quite meant to fit in here. But you know, like Jason said, you're not meant to know everything right. And for me, it's always just saying to myself, don't be scared of failure, because that does, for me personally, make me learn and grow more. Um, and also, no one cares in a week's time anyway, if you do fail, people get over it. Um, but it is just about, you know, the way that I have had to cope with it is just reframing my thoughts. So, you know, if I am nervous before something, it's saying, you know, I am nervous, but it's normal, it's natural, I can do it and look how far I've come in even just the last year. So, but yeah, definitely something that I still experience. And I think most people do. I've been to workshops 
on imposter syndrome before and as you said it is mainly girls that show up but it's really interesting when you do see you know a couple of guys show up and you speak to them and then you realize that you know we all have that it's just whether or not we talk about it openly or not yeah I was just going to add that Molly you mentioned a really powerful word failure and you know if I look back through everything I've done in life whether it's in my personal life or in my my work life I learn so much more from failure and failure is a good thing and not to be fearful or worried about it. You, you learn so much more from when things go wrong than when they go right. From coaching a son's football team to you know, deploying a project, reflecting on what doesn't work, you learn so much more from. And I think you know, failure is, is a really healthy thing. And whether you're a CEO of a startup, you know, you, everyone knows that we learn more from failure. So, we shouldn't be afraid of failure. We, we should embrace it. Yeah. yeah, I'd agree with that. Fail fast and then, you know, apply it. Exactly. Off we go. Have another go. What about you, Kimberly? Have you um, got any experience? Oh, yes. I feel like you were chatting I'm about just it constantly week, an imposter. Really. Imposter as a mother. Um, when I was a student, just in my job as well. Um, it's a funny one, really. Um, but I do feel, feel like when you gain more experience um it definitely helps a bit also i think it shows you care doesn't it really um it shows like you're passionate about something that you care and that and like you say actually failing isn't the worst thing you you learn so much by it and like that lovely quote of them like fail again fail better you just gotta like you say learn from your experiences and you, you definitely do learn a lot more from the failures um things stick in your head better don't they um but yeah i was very much so yes that's a, Learning a nice way of phrasing them um <laughs> yeah i had a good chat with a friend um talking about it and we were saying about um sort of like trying to play to your strengths as a way of overcoming it and collaboration as well and she had a great example of um working it was her and uh, another man in in the organization who had to write reports and her their, her feedback was her reports were a bit too over emotional too detailed over onerous and then his were like too blunt um like not not enough context so they actually collaborated together and would review each other's work and um and that really seemed to help them so i think collaboration definitely helps with things like that yeah yeah, play to your strengths. That, that that I completely agree with that, and that's actually the value of a team, isn't it? I know Jason, you and I have spoken about this before in the past. The whole purpose, really, of having a team is that you've got mixed abilities yeah. and mixed strengths in there. So you know, if you're not the expert in everything, then you know, mm-hmm. go go play with somebody who has got those skills and and figure it out together. Absolutely, and I think this goes right back to where we started, which is around diversity mm-hmm. of thinking, diversity. Is diversity of of ethnicity, that diversity of country of origin, all that stuff just you know just brings more perspective and experience, and ultimately makes every, a very good workplace for, for great things to happen. <laughs> no, I like that. We've come full circle. <laughs> Um, so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of move on to Act Three, if you like, which is kind of our our, our cyber heroes. Um, 
I'm really interested in, I mean, Jason, we've heard from you already about um, uh, your, your earliest mentor. Um, and Molly, you've had some great experiences at, uh, in your career as well. Who, who else has kind of stood out for you? Would you like to call out as your cyber hero of the moment? Um, Oof. Oh, I'm happy to go. No, absolutely fine. Yeah, no, definitely. So one of my cyber heroes is a lady called Jessica Barker. I'm sure you may have heard of her. So she's amazing. Um, so she works obviously on the human element side of cybersecurity. So for me, a huge role model, hugely influential, just because I come from a very similar background. I can't profess to know much about that side of things just because that's not where I specialise. However, it's always an area that I would like to and intend to explore at some point. Um, yeah, her background's in sociology, so very similar. But not only that, she has a huge technical knowledge as well. So she's, you know, I don't know her experiences, but she's obviously, you know, built up this great knowledge technically and from the human side of things as well. Um, and I know as well, she does a lot of talks. She does a lot of talks um, on TV. I've actually seen her do a talk about imposter syndrome as well. But I just think she breaks some of the stereotypes of, you know, what it means to be in cybersecurity. And going back again to our point of, you know, targeting young females to show them that you can be in this industry. If they see people like Jessica Barker on TV, giving her talks, it just makes, you know, the whole industry more accessible to, to young females as well. It does. It does. And she's absolutely fabulous. She's one of my heroes as well. So I'm pleased to hear you call her out. When I, because I'm a second career person and I was introduced to Jessica, somebody uh, from the Hacking Society group actually connected me with Jess because um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. You know, I'm, I'm now a lot clearer that I kind of want to probably go into uh, threat intel and use Austin. But at the time, I had no idea what I was doing. I was halfway through my master's and she gave up like nearly an hour of my of her time to just talk to me and she shared all of her experiences. And so she really is accessible. And then watching what her and Sagenza put out on um Twitter, because you what are they called? Oh, their um, their little sessions, their little overflow. video sessions. They're, cool. they're really yeah. cool and funny. Yeah. <laughs> That's they're it. Her and Freaky Clowns. So yeah, definitely <laughs> check those out because they're absolutely brilliant stories. So yeah, brilliant. Yeah, awesome cyber hero. I really struggled on this. Um because I, I couldn't actually nail it down to, to one individual, and I ended up having to land on two, I'm afraid. Is that allowed? That's all right. He's one of our favourite people, so yeah, he's our, he's You're going to have to indulge me, I'm afraid. So, um, so <laughs> both of these individuals I, I have worked with, and that's why you know I really, you know, look up to them for what they've done and uh, one of them was um, Chris Weissopel who I worked with at Vericode he was a co-founder but what he and the, my other hero Kevin Mandia is just how forward thinking they were about computer security and basically you know created so much of what the industry is about today but uh, Chris was one of the original members of Loft and they had this really cool tool called Loftcrack in like 1998 that you could use to crack Windows passwords that I used to use as a security consultant. And you know, 12 years later to end up working with Chris and sit in the same room with him and listen to his passion about pen testing, application security, and how do we 
yeah, keep organizations safe was just inspiring to you know to get so close to someone who you know he spoke at a senate committee in 1998 about bringing the internet down in 30 mm-hmm. minutes so yeah to, to work closely with him was absolutely amazing but similarly like kevin mandia his company uh mandian they were the company that produced the report on apt1 from china in 2013 which really yeah. kicked off the whole cyber security in the US government being attacked by China and got the US government to change its tact on securing government infrastructure there. And yeah. <laughs> it's almost cyber royalty you're calling out. It, it was, but again, I, I, I was lucky enough to, when Fire <laughs> acquired Mandiant, to spend some time really? talking to Kevin and some of his management team. And again, is you know, the passion and the, you know, just to, to care that much that you want to go and create your own company to go and solve this problem and deal with it and take the risks that go with that employing people taking out loans and all the other stuff that goes with building a business you know that that's something i don't think i could personally be um i just don't know whether i've got the guts for it but you know to have that passion that deeply that you want to go and change the world it's impressive for me yeah definitely yeah definitely i can can't agree with that any yep Unfortunately, they're both blokes. That's the trouble. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) No, no, that's cool. I think that's really good. I mean, um, the the heroes every day doesn't matter if they're male or female. I I think at all. So um, there's lots of inspiring people. What about you, Kimberly? Um, I agree. Actually, I do agree, Jason. It it was quite hard to do, actually, but I I did narrow it down to one. Um, I chose um, Chani Sims. Um, Yeah, she's the CISO of uh, Meta Defence, and she's also got um, like a um, a global mentoring platform called Chief CISO Executive. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's also done a great. We definitely put this in the show notes. A great TED talk. Yes, really, really good. I called up Stop Chasing Fabulous the Magic Security talk. Box, um, which I watched <laughs> quite early on in my journey and just like, wow. Um, but yeah, she, she talks a lot about the importance of diversity, but also emotional intelligence, which um, I think is just so important. And um, yeah, yeah, I think she's wonderful. So she's my hero, cyber hero. She is. She's absolutely brilliant. Wow. Um, and she, she's come to the London meetup. So one day in the future, oh. at some point, we'll meet up. We'll be able to meet up in person oh, again. Nothing. And hopefully, um, Chani's fab. Absolutely brilliant. And her TED talk that she gave, because she did it on a TEDx, it's actually oh. just been uploaded onto the big TED platform. So actually, it's more accessible than it was before. And that's a huge um, recognition and achievement for Chani. Oh, definitely. Um, for, for what yes. she's put out into the industry. Um, so what about yourself, Helen? Have you got anyone particular? Like Kimberly? Well, you see, the re- one of the reasons why I went <laughs> <laughs> on Jason is because oh, I'm oh, I see. <laughs> 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 I made the rules. So, um, so, yeah, so this week, actually, I've started yeah. a programme with Tech Talent, and you have as well, Kimberly, which is Women in Cyber. And so it's it's a 12 week program where you get to learn 
programming languages like Python, Java, Security Essentials, etc., etc. Because, like you, Molly, my background is non-technical. I come from a, a marketing background, B two B marketing, um, and so I think I've almost had barriers in my own head sometimes that you know, well, I can't code, I can't do stuff, blah blah blah. And and but through doing the hacking society, I found that I actually got more tech. I actually have more technical affinity than than I thought. So I'm really excited to be doing this this, this program. <laughs> But I'm not calling me out. It sounds like it, but I'm not. What I'm calling out are the the number of women that I've seen on uh, that are in my class. Um, there's twelve of us. They are uh, fabulous ladies taking part in the Women in Cyber Academy for the next twelve weeks, so that they can learn technical skills. There's women who've been uh, whose businesses have been eroded by COVID, so they've decided to learn new skills. There, there's uh, there's people who used to be in veterinary science who wanted a different career so they're doing this to learn new skills and um, they're just so excited and they're dead motivated <laughs> and um, that's awful grammar that I just said there but um, you know absolutely uh, brilliant and their enthusiasm is fabulous so actually my cyber heroes I'm going to call out all the women who are part of the Women in Cyber Academy course um, in this cohort and the one before because I think they are heroes to be be brave enough to commit to these um, brilliant isn't it it's inspiring to hear i love that one that's the best one (laughs) 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 so yeah so uh, is there anything coming up for you guys um in the next couple of weeks that you want to shout out what's what's happening i I guess this 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 may may sound um slightly uh, i wouldn't say cocky but the, the amount of content we're producing every week now is is insane and it's hard to keep on top of it i mean even us as employees molly isn't it is there's yeah. so much new stuff coming out um i mean we'll share that ransomware report as just one example of the different different things we, we talk about every week um um yeah i honestly can tell you um Personally, I'm not quite sure what's in the pipeline. Um, we'll f- when you when you f- you know, we'll know. <laughs> well, we'll yes, we'll, and we'll, we'll, keep we'll put watching. all the details we'll in the show notes watching. as well. Yeah, I say probably our blog. If you go to our blog, there's so much good content that we share with the community. Uh, I mean, the other thing you know, we encourage people to do is is sign up to our free Cyber Daily. Um, oh, yeah. If people are interested, we do send free threat intelligence to email. In, in boxes and we've also got a browser extension so you can do you can get our um threat intel for free that you can use as uh, to enrich indicators on web pages as well so you know, those are free tools we give out to the community to, to help everyone so if they go to the website you're always welcome to get some uh, free data from us i'd just really like to say a huge thank you to our amazing guests Jason Steer and Molly Davies from Recorded Future. You really were ace and you're our favourite people. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, yes, thank you. And um, see you next time, folks. Bye. Bye.